a couple years ago, there was an article in the New York Times called Why Waiting is Torture. Why Waiting is Torture. And the, the premise of the article was a, an airport in Houston was just having an inordinate amount of complaints about their baggage claim. People were having to wait too long. And so the executives, they got together and they tried to figure out how can we, how can we solve this. And so the first thing they did was they got more baggage handlers to reduce the time. And they were successful. They were able to reduce the time to eight minutes that people had to wait, which was within the industry standards. However, the complaints continued. And so they took a, a bit deeper look at it, and, and they, they realized that the amount of time that the person went from the, the gate to the terminal was just a couple minutes, but then they waited for like six or seven minutes once they got there. And so what they did was they put the arriving gates furthest away from the baggage claim. So people actually had to walk six times farther to get to the baggage claim. And so instead of taking one or two minute walk, now you have a, a six, eight minute walk. But when they got to the baggage claim, they only had to wait one or two minutes. What do you think happened to the complaints? Non-existent. No more complaints because there's something about the experience of waiting that is, is not defined by the objective length of the, the wait. Um, there's a guy, his name is Richard Larson. He's an MIT researcher, and he is the wor world's foremost expert on lines. Whew. That is something, right? Now, like, how, do you, how do you become the world's foremost expert on lines? Well, well Richard Larson is, and, uh, and I actually saw a YouTube video of him this week, and if, and if you want something to put you to sleep, check out that video. Uh, but he said uh, about this, this waiting in lines, he says, often the psychology of queuing, of, of waiting, waiting in the queue, is more important than the statistics of the wait itself. In other words, the occupied time, like the walking to the baggage claim, feels shorter than unoccupied time where you're just standing there at the carousel. This is why many times in your elevators that take a long time, mirrors are installed. So people have something to do while they wait. Check out themselves in the mirror. Check out the person next to them without being weird and looking straight at them, checking them out. Um, so our, our expectations affect how we feel about waiting, our expectation of the wait. In fact, if you expect to wait seven minutes and you wait five minutes, you feel good about that. But if you expect to wait three minutes, and you wait five minutes, you don't feel so good about that. Even though the time of waiting was exactly the same, there's something about the expectation in the waiting. Now, I'm not the kind of person who enjoys waiting. If, I am, if I'm driving in traffic, I'm on I-70, and you, you, know, you got your three lanes going, like I'm the guy, I'm sorry, that tries to get into the faster lane and what happens as soon as you get into the faster lane? It stops. It's like, <laughs> and I have to, <sighs> and it's really bad if Laura and I are in together because we, we get each other going, talking. And my family has found out that I like to take shortcuts. Like I will find the side street, especially uh, Ryland goes to school on the other side of I-70, so we have to come back through Quebec and past, like in the afternoons, it's terrible. So I'm always looking for a way to get around, around the lines and and sometimes it works, but at least I'm moving, right? Like I'm going down the side street, like I'm thinking I'm, I'm probably not getting there any faster, but there's something about that expectation that, that helps. Uh, at the grocery store, lines, right? Now, most of us, we've turned this into a, an art and a science of which line 
we're going to choose. Like you come up, because you don't want to get in a line where there's you know, three people here, three people here, three people in your line, and both those lines check out. And then like two more people check out before you. Anybody else have angst when that, when that happens? Uh, and so you, when you come up, you, you check the lines, like how many people are in the lines, how many items are in their cart. That's important. Not only that, maybe most important is like who is doing the checking, right? So at, at uh, Quebec King Supers, that's where we do our grocery shopping. And there's a, a couple of people that I look for that I, I prefer because I know they're good. Uh, there's, there's a lady, um, and this one time I was like, do you know you look like, yeah, and I forget she said, uh, I, had to, I had to write it down because uh, the show was on before I was around. Uh, I was like, she's like, yes, Florence from the Jeffersons. You guys know who I'm talking about up at King Supers? Uh, apparently people have said that to her before because I didn't even finish the statement. She's awesome. There's a guy up there, his name is O'Brien, always dressed sharp. He must be a manager. Managers are the best because they can override like the price checks. They don't have to call for a manager. And so, but I have destroyed the waiting system because I take my boys with me. And so what I do is I say, you, you go wait in this line. You wait in this line. I'm going to wait in this line. Whichever line, is this true or false? Boys, it's true. It's true. Thank you. I have a, like, come on, work, work, work with me. Whichever line is shorter, then I just move in. I'm sure the people are there, like, they're, what's, what's happening? And at Ross Dress for Less, forget about it. We go in the store. I send the boys to the line right then. I was like, I'm going to find you some shoes. You're going to like them. Go wait in line. Uh, <laughs> waiting, waiting, waiting is, is hard. Sometimes, and that is the season of Advent. Advent in Advent, we are waiting for the second coming of our Savior. We're, the first Advent has happened at, at Christmas, but we are in between the times between the first coming, the first Advent, and the second Advent. And what are we doing in the waiting? What are we doing in between? And, and sometimes it feels like we're just waiting. Sometimes we feel like we're at the baggage carousel and we're waiting for God to come through. Like things just going by, and like God, and it, and it may, might feel like a customer complaint card to you that we give to God sometimes. Like, God, when are you, you going to make things right for me? God, when are you going to provide a better job for me? When are you going to put my marriage back together again? I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting. When are you going to have a, a third party in our two-party political system? Mm, come on. Uh, I, like, I, I don't blame you. I mean... And on a, on a national level, and the 24-hour news cycle, like it has been a, a year. It has been a year. I grew up in elementary school, middle school in central Illinois, in Tornado Alley. And in the spring, we would have tornado drills, right? We practice going into the hallway. And I remember spending multiple afternoons when sirens were going off in, in the area. You're in the hallway. You're, you're bent towards the wall, and then, and then you have a book. Anybody remember the book on top of your Because the book's going to save your life if the building falls <laughs> on you right there. I'm going to be good, but we kept that book. Uh, kids these days, they probably still do tornado drills, but they have other drills that they have to do to, from threats on the outside that they have to do. Like, it's, it's crazy. Just uh, this year at uh, STEM High School in Highlands Ranch, there was a threat that came in last week. Right here at uh, 33rd, and I believe it was Dexter, right as Stedman was getting out of school, there was a shooting, a guy was shot in the leg, the suspect took off running towards the school. Like just 
just last week, two weeks ago. Like, this, these are not, uh, like, and I have conversations with my boys about this. Like, if a threat comes in the school, it's like, you get out of there. Don't hide. You run. You get out. I was like, don't listen to your, if you're a teacher, I apologize. The, the legit thing to do is to get out of there. Like, you, you don't hide. And then, and then if the threat comes into the room, don't hide again. Throw a book, throw a computer, throw a desk, do anything. Don't hide. The last resort is to hide. So I, like, I'm having these conversations with my elementary, my middle school boys. Like, and it, it, it is, um, that's, that's the year, that's the time in which we live. How about our ongoing uh, racial tensions and inequities? Uh, some of you know about DUIs, and some of you know about DWB, right? What's that one? Driving while black. Uh, it seems in the last few years, you could change it to living while black. Um, in, in 2018, both from John in his apartment, minding his own business, uh, off-duty police officer comes in, thinks it's her apartment, shoots him. Uh, just a couple months ago in Fort Worth, Tatiana Jefferson killed. She's babysitting her nephew in the night. The officer comes and, and shoots through the window without saying that he was an officer. Like living while black. Just uh, two weeks, this month in Iowa, uh, a lady driving an SUV drove off, s- swerved, and hit a 14-year-old on purpose because in the words of the driver, the 14-year-old was a Mexican. The, uh, the shooting this year in El Paso targeted Latinos, and, uh, and we have questions for God. They are legit questions that we have, and we're, we're waiting. Like, God, where, where are you? And we're waiting for God to step in. We're waiting for God, for God to do something. About 700 years before Jesus, the, the people of Israel were the, the chosen people of God. They were the people that God had called to make a name for himself, to make himself famous among the, the other nations. So he, he had called these, uh, these people, the Israel, to be his people. But time and time again, they, they messed it up. Like, and, and so about 700 years before Jesus, a prophet comes on the scene. And prophets were the type of people who heard from God. They spoke for God oftentimes. They spoke to God at times. And uh, about this time, Israel, is, there's two kingdoms in Israel. They had a civil war with each other. The northern half of the kingdom was taken into exile. Like They, they were basically wiped out. And, and since then, so that's 2,700 years ago, has never been restored. Like that, that was the time in which this prophet lived, time of political unrest, spiritual unrest. And here's what the prophet said in Isaiah 64. We read it earlier. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And I'm guessing when the prophet first wrote that, first said that, it wasn't, oh, that you would rend the heavens and, and come down. It was like a, a, a deep inner, that you would rend the heavens. God, come, rend the heavens and come down. Do something about this that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him who wait for him. The summary, God do something. God do something. Um, 
And maybe you found yourself this year saying, God, would you do something? Because a lot of times problems, we talk, you know, kind of large picture problems, but think about your own life in this, this past year. It seems like problems, they don't come alone. Like when they come, they bring family, right? They bring all the aunties and uncles and cousins and the nephews and nieces. The problems bring, you're like, Matthew, that sounds like what's going to happen on Wednesday at my house. No, and I'm not talking about actual people, all right? I'm, it's a metaphor of, of problems uh, that come to us. There was one writer who put it like this. Uh, it says, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. That's good. It's our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. And some of you are waiting for a not yet, but it feels like a not ever. Now, we've got uh, Wednesday is Christmas, and, and I wonder if the kids here today would maybe tell me what they want for Christmas. Like a couple kids, they're all doing their, but what do you want for Christmas? Just shout out any kids, what do you, Malachi, what do you want for Christmas? Some, something Sonic. Sonic, all right, I knew, I knew it. Um, what else, who else wants something for Christmas? What else, what else is on your list? If we're real out, shout it out. Clothes? All right. Uh, Britt, what would you like for Christmas? Socks. Uh -huh, that's my boy. All right, socks. All right. We're just going to close in prayer. God has answered. Lord, thank you. My child, my child, this guy. Rylan's like, come on. Anybody else? Any other kids? What do you, what do you, want, what do you guys want for Christmas? What do you, what do you, what do you, oh, back there, back there. Yeah, and, Anders, I see. Is that him? A bow and arrow and a hamster. Do the two go together, the bow and arrow and the hamster? Because <laughs> that, that could be a good gift right there. That could be a good gift. Yeah, what, what was that one? Jordans? Blue Jordans. Come on. A man after my own heart. Some Jordans. Yeah. A Barbie. All right. Yeah. And spy Kids? Just, just all the Spy Kids? Spy Kit. Wait a second. I don't know what's going to do with it. Tristan. Nerf gun? All right. Okay. And, and some of you that have kids, you probably have had to explain to the kids that it's not yet time to open the presents. Like kids right now are living in the season of Advent that, that like, but the presents are already there. But you're like, not, not yet. I mean, a conversation yesterday, a riveting conversation yesterday with my three-year-old about this whole thing. Uh, and she's gotten very good about using our own words against us. She's like, Daddy, share. You're not sharing. My present, it's right there. Not yet. Not, and that is the season that we live in. It's the season of waiting. You're like, Matthew, this is... This is not a happy, joy, joy Christmas message so far. Like, I need a little bit of, you're right, we're getting there right now. There is, there is hope, and we indeed, there are some, some dark times we live in. There are struggles that we face each day. But after years of waiting, 2,000 years ago, there was a breakthrough in the clouds. And right after Jesus was born, 
We read uh, the story earlier in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Remember what the prophet cried? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Well, at Christmas, we celebrate that God has, in fact, come down. It is the good news that Jesus has come. We look at, at this particular story when the angel shows up, and we're not given the angel's name because the name of the angel isn't important. In fact, the angel is not important beyond the message that the angel carries. And it's the same here at the Hills Church. The, the messenger is not important, whether the messenger is me or another person, but it's the message that carries the weight. It is the message that is the deal. And, and what is the good news that the messenger brought to the lowly shepherds? Now, you might have gro grown up hearing those verses a little differently. If you've ever seen uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? I, I can't remember which character is it stands up in, in quotes from the King James, where it says, For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. The good news has nothing to do about getting a new chariot or about getting 26-inch rims on the chariot, mm -hmm. or uh, about you being healed of an ailment, though Jesus is our healer, or about your bank account increasing, or about you living your best life. Now, that's not the good news. The good news is something greater. You can have all the trinkets in the world, but if you die without Jesus, you die broke. You die broke. Jesus has come to be our Savior. That, of course, implies that we need saving. We need saving. And I think most of us, we have what I'd call like uh, functional saviors, things maybe that we look to when, when we're having a rough day, like where, where do you turn, or, or things we look to to give us our identity. Um, for some, it could be, could be shopping. That's not mine. That's not my, uh, my struggle. That's not my, my idol. But maybe like when you're feeling stressed, you go and, and stress shop. Like that is, that's a thing. Where, uh, and maybe... Um, it's your functional savior. Maybe it's like when you get home, you cannot unwind until you had your glass of red wine. Like, like it's just not, life is not right until you get your glass and you have a little drink and it calms you down. Maybe for you, your functional savior is your work. Like you put all your effort into your work, you get your identity from your work, you enjoy telling people what you do for your work because it's good work. Nothing wrong with, with good work. Uh, maybe it's your, your kids and their performance, and you might be looking for your kids to give you something that only Christ can give you. For others, your functional Savior is a relationship, like looking for love, and so you go from this broken relationship to dysfunctional relationship, 
because you are, are looking for that relationship to do for you what only Christ can do for you. I've got functional saviors. You've got functional saviors, and they're probably not the same. But they always overpromise and they always underdeliver. They leave you emptier. The, the only true Savior is Jesus. The, the text says that He is Christ the Lord. He is more than just a, a sage, more than just a, a good teacher. He's more than just a, a buddy. He is Lord. He is God in the flesh. And, and so you can judge a Savior by the, the, uh, the qualifications of the Savior, the one who is going to do uh, the saving. And the good news is that Jesus meets all the qualifications, that he is a worthy candidate to be your Savior. He can do the job. He can get it done. He can actually save you. Uh, C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity, and, and this quote is, is kind of a classic quote on, on this, and you may have heard this before, read it, heard it in a sermon. But he writes about this idea of, of Jesus being the Son of God and, and being Lord. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready, and this is what they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. I love that. Who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a man, madman, or something worse. Jesus is our Savior, and he has the credentials to back it up through his death and his resurrection. He has proved that he is, in fact, and can be your Savior. And then, uh, so you might be at the, again, we're back to the baggage carousel. We're back at the line. And it might seem like Jesus is a long time coming. But we know because Christ came the first time, and because he died and he rose again, that when he said he's coming back, he is in fact coming back. And you can put, you can put your trust in him. You can put the full weight of your trust on him. And as we read in Luke 2, verse 10, it says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, how do, you, how do you describe yourself? I mean, we have all kinds of labels, ways that we uh, describe ourselves, and I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up. We're going to get to the magic trick in just a moment. Huh? Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. Th there are all types of labels that we give ourselves or that our, our culture puts on us, or, um, and some labels are bring dignity, some labels bring power. Some labels do not. Many labels, in fact, do not. Many, many labels divide us. And so there's the easy, easy labels when you fill out an application, male, female, which, what's your race. But then there's others that, you know, we categorize people in whether they're, they're rich or poor, whether someone is of good character, you know, diligent, kind, and honest person, or someone's Someone's lazy, dishonest, slut. Like we have these, these labels, right, that we, that we put on people. Uh, 
the type of citizen you are, the type of work you do. We categorize blue collar, white collar, no work, unemployed. The type of living space, or do you live in a house, do you live in an apartment, are you a renter, are you homeless, do you own your place? Like we have, we have all these labels. Uh, nerd, jock, right? The, what people like to do and, and um, if they're more artistic or they're more into sports, whether someone is single, what's it say on Facebook? You updated your status, right? In a relationship. That is, that is a, a label that we put on there. Of course, our political labels, liberal, conservative, college-educated, or high school dropout. Uh, I've recently moved into a, a new category, and I have a new label. I don't like this label, but I am, for the first time, a protected class. I recently turned 40. <laughs> and according to the law, I looked it up. I am, in fact... Uh, part of the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, and you can't discriminate against me. Uh, I don't like that label. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it. How about, how about some other, uh, other labels? How about uh, a skeptical professor or an unbelieving neighbor or a proud politician, the hypocritical preacher, the stubborn relative, the arrogant celebrity, the self-righteous church member. However you describe yourself, Jesus is a savior for your type. For whatever label you give yourself or society has given you, Jesus is a savior for your type. Even if you've encountered Christians who made you feel like Jesus wasn't for your type, Jesus is for your type. And Jesus is even for the judgmental Christian who said, your type wasn't belong, didn't belong. How do I know the the good news is for you because of Christmas. The entire nativity story, the, the scene, everything about it shouts, this is for you in the way that Jesus came. Uh, this year for Advent, uh, most nights I've been reading a chapter from this book called God Came Near to my boys. It's by Max Lucado. He's a, a Christian author. He's a pastor for many years, written over 40 books, like 100 million in, in print. Uh, and this one, they're just short chapters. But I love how he, he can turn a phrase and, and bring some, some imagery to, um, to the story of God coming near. I just want to read just a brief portion from one I read the other night. He says, The omnipotent, talking about God, in one instant made himself breakable. How do you know God's for you? God made himself breakable. He who had been a spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with the word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows and elbows, two kidneys and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God came near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one who first cries, whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused and dirty, no silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. Were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him and had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons. Oh boy. Jesus may have had pimples. 
he may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got cold. He burped, had body odor. His feelings got hurt. He got tired, and his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light as well, it's, it's almost irreverent. seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with his hammer. I wonder what Jesus said when he hit his thumb. He's easier to stomach that way. There is something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. Only if we let him in can he pull us out. How do I know that Jesus is the Savior for your type? Because of how he came. Because of how he came into the world. I'm going to need a, a volunteer. Someone brave that uh, could help me for a moment. Uh, I'm going to put somebody on the spot a little bit. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to... I'm going to go with my own son here. Brett, come here. Come here, Brett. All right, all right. No, no fighting in the front row. All right, Brett, what I'd like you to do is to think of the worst thing you have ever done. You're not going to tell anybody. You're not going to tell anybody. But just think in your, in your mind what the worst thing you've, you've ever done. And uh, some of you right now are like, I'm glad I didn't put my hand up. Uh, <laughs> But that's for all of us. Just, it's not often fun to, to think about, but well, what's the worst thing that you have ever done? And if you don't want to go there, maybe don't think in ter- terms of quality of the worst thing, but maybe quantity. Like what is the thing that, or the types of things that you do that you're like, oh, I don't know why I keep doing this. Uh, it, maybe just to get your eye. Maybe it's a white lies. Maybe it's slander. Maybe it's talking about somebody at, at work. Maybe it's cheating on a test. Maybe it's cheating, uh, cheating on your taxes. Maybe it's cheating in a relationship. Uh, cheating. Uh, what? Or maybe, and oftentimes we think of things that we did that we shouldn't do. But what about those things that we should have done, but we have not? The things we have left undone. Maybe we haven't loved God with all our heart. Um, all right, you got it? You got your thing? All right, here's, here's what I'm going to have you do. Just right. I've got this piece of paper here. No, you're not going to show anybody. Absolutely not. You're not going to show. I'm not going to look at it. So what I would like you to do is like one word that you can think of. Maybe write, your, we'll turn this way so no one can see. I'm not going to look either. I'll turn this way. And maybe if you want to write it on the, okay, right on the table. Yeah, don't, don't spill my stuff there though. Okay. I won't look. And then write it one time and then just fold it. Fold it one time. It's one word. One word. And then. And when you're done, I want you to put it in that, that cup right there. Fold it. One, just one time. One fold. Drop it right in there. All right. I'm not going to look at it. 
Thanks, buddy. You have to, let's give Britt a hand. Real brave right there. So imagine your greatest failure on display for all to see. Imagine that one day you're going to have to give an account before God. For every, Jesus said, you'll have to give an account for every careless word you've spoken. So if you have to give an account, that, that means that somewhere there's an account or something being kept, a record being kept. For all to see, we can't, can't get away from it. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the good news is, is that Jesus came. I was a little thirsty, I had to get a drink. The good news is that Jesus came into the world. And, and this, the red water is going to represent Jesus' death on the cross for us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And sometimes when we think of God forgiving us, maybe we think that God just puts a blanket over our sins. And maybe, maybe they're still there. He's going to bring them up again. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And so our, our sins, for all to see, when we say, Jesus, Jesus, save me, would you take away, would you take away my sins? You know what Jesus does? He, he, in fact, takes away our sins. It's gone. It's not just covered. The sin is completely, completely gone. Are you impressed? I worked all week on that. But that is the truth. So I'm using a simple example of what God has done for us.